the title today of our message is Complacency Gauge. This is something that I wasn't sure why God brought it to me, put it on my heart. It's always dangerous when you tell somebody, you know what, you can preach on whatever you want to. And uh, as I went to the Lord, this is what he brought me to. Not easy, maybe not even fun, but the message that God has given me. And I've titled it Complacency Gauge. And I want to ask, are you ever concerned about complacency as a follower of Christ? I think we need to do some serious thinking about that. I know I need to. I have to think a lot about complacency. So I want to make sure we're working off the same definition. Spiritual complacency, is it's a self-satisfied state of negligence or carelessness in relationship to one's personal relationship with Christ. Did you get that? Uh, should I say it one more time? Okay, I got a couple of head shakes. Spiritual complacency is a self-satisfied state of negligence or carelessness in relationship to our personal relationship with Christ. You know, God's word is full, just full, stock full, chuck full of warnings about complacency. And uh, you'll find the actual word in the Bible and the English Standard Version in a few places. Uh, so if you wanted to, but you can find it under all kinds of different titles and, and subjects. Let me just, I'm not going to give you the reference, but let me say a few things that God says about complacency in his word. Perhaps the most vivid one is Jesus' teaching on the rich fool. We've all heard that one. <laughs> and uh, you remember the man that said, you know what, and I will say to my soul, he actually addresses it, soul. <laughs> he says, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. So that has to do with complacency with, with riches and, and what he owned. But the topic of complacency is much deeper than that. It's not just about what we have in the physical sense. <laughs> uh, it's much deeper than that. So God talks about it in several places. He uses the word complacent about men and women who have forgotten the reality of God in their lives. Does that ever strike you? You know, is God real? <laughs> you know, I pray to him, I worship him, but sometimes I think, is, is it real, this stuff, you know? And, and is there re do we have the reality of God in our heart and in our lives? And, and God speaks to that topic. <laughs> he says there's men that have forgotten the reality of God, men and women, in their lives. He said there are those who are weary of the Lord. Can you imagine that? Maybe just getting tired of God? Tired of trying to walk with the Lord and, and do things in our own power and, and whatever it takes to get tired of the Lord. It's a warning in the scripture. <laughs> and there's another warning about those uh, who, are, who never inquire of the Lord anymore thought about that one a lot. You know, do we go to the Lord for everything? Not really. Most of us don't. And we need to inquire of the Lord. <laughs> Parents, I, I love it when my kids inquire of me. And God wants us to inquire of him in our relationship with him. That, that's a living relationship. He warns those who have forgotten to inquire of the Lord. And those who have become sluggish in their spiritual life. You know, people become lazy in their spiritual life. You know what? Going to church eh, every Sunday early, get dressed. You know, I don't really want to. You know what? There's this sluggishness. Being in God's word. Yeah, I get to it when I can. Uh, you know, uh, praying. Oh, I fall asleep every time. I, you know. 
there's a sluggishness that God warns us and uses that word about sluggishness in the book of Hebrews. And those who have neglected their salvation or drifted away. Hebrews talks about the idea of drifting away from your salvation or neglecting it. That's serious stuff. And in Proverbs 1.32 in the ESV, it literally says, the complacency of fools destroy them. Whew. I think God's concerned about complacency in my life and your life. John Piper's got a great message on this. He says that the text that I'm going to read in a little bit, uh, it's addressed to churchgoers whose dealings with the Lord are business-like. <laughs> you know, just keep it on that mm, kind of level here. Let's not get too excited. Uh, and he says it's, it's not only business-like, it's like dealing with a, <laughs> a salesman on your porch. <laughs> How many of you enjoy having a salesman on your porch? Anybody? Oh, there are some people that love to talk to salesmen just because they want to uh, show them up, I guess, and get rid of them. I enjoy that once in a while. So, <laughs> But most of us, when a salesperson comes to our house or somebody's selling a, a different brand of religion, we just can't wait to, you know, let's get done with this. And, and I love that comparison. We sometimes think of the Lord that way. You know, I'm just keeping it on this certain level. It's, it's nothing uh, really that big of a deal. So do you ever think, you personally, do you ever think that your relationship with Jesus is not what it should be? Is that it? Do you ever think that? Am I the only one that thinks that? You don't have to raise your hand, but yeah, I do. And do you ever think that the body of Christ, the church, is not what it could be in relationship with Jesus? Well, I've thought that a lot. There's been many a time when I've been with the body of Christ in a meeting or something and come home and said, I don't think this is what Jesus had in mind. The word, God's word, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Turn there, will you? He tells us something that's pretty amazing. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Starting in verse 5. Here's what the Lord says. He says, examine yourselves. You hear that? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? That's, that's amazing. <laughs> Don't you realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Let's be honest. A lot of times we don't realize that Jesus Christ is in us. And we respond in a way that isn't like Christ, or we say something that isn't like Christ. And so a lot of times we, we act that way. And the Bible tells us we need to examine ourselves and see whether or not we're in the faith. So I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if we had a complacency gauge? Wouldn't that be neat? <laughs> and so I Googled it. Uh, Kathy says I Google too much. So I Googled complacency gauge and it actually came up with something. <laughs> it said capital V-I-X, which stands for volatility index in the stock market. <laughs> And you know what it measures? It measures investors' fears or their complacency, whether or not they're going to spend money or not. I thought, wow, that's pretty amazing. It's actually a term, complacency gauge. <laughs> but wouldn't it be interesting if we could take our own complacency temperature? And then I learned something else, and you young people are going to probably laugh at me, but you can take your temperature with a smartphone. How many of you knew that already? One? Nah. Two? <laughs> Phil, did you know that? No. Yeah, well, they have a smartphone now, and you can actually take a person's temperature with it. And you know what it measures? It measure, measures the infrared light that comes off of your body. 
So when I worked at Wheaton College, we had a plane fly over and it took an infrared picture of the, all of our buildings so we could see where we were losing heat. What color do you think it was when it was heat coming out? Red. And we could see where it was uh, cold and wet. Maybe we had a leak and it was dark, you know, green or blue. And, and so it's interesting to me as I look at this passage and I think about whether or not we could take our own temperature that every body on earth, not just human bodies or biological bodies, but every mass puts off light, some kind of light. And Christians, we ought to be putting off a whole bunch of light, right? That's, that's what God has called us to do. That's not the message, but I just thought about that. So if I was in Louisiana and I was a preacher, I would go, now watch this. That's what they do. Now watch this. <laughs> and, and this is what I want to say. God has provided a spiritual complacency gauge for us. So I want you to stand with me as I read our text. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. Last book in the Bible. John the Revelator was given this revelation by Christ. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, Father, we do come this morning to hear ancient words, and we come with open hearts. And I pray, God, that we will hear what the Spirit says to the church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Understand first, and perhaps most importantly, that this is Christ speaking to the church. And, and he tells us that in so many words. In my Bible, I've got one of those red letter Bibles, so I know, because it's in red letters, that it's the words of Jesus. But I really know because of what Jesus says. He identifies himself as the Amen. And what that means there is firmness, stability, and credibility. Jesus is the rock. <laughs> he's our architect. He's our builder. He's our foundation. So when he says he's the amen, that's what he's talking about. And he's talking to a people in a geographic area that is very unstable. Uh, Laodicea, earthquakes, big time. Uh, lots of mountains around there with boiling water. And so he starts out saying, I'm the firm foundation. And then he goes on, he says he's the faithful and the true witness. And that faithful and true witness contrasts with the faithlessness and the inconsistency of the Laodiceans. And so now I want us to be thinking not just about the Laodiceans, I want us to be thinking about ourselves individually and as a church this morning. And then it says Christ is the beginning. What that really means, it sounds like some people think, well, he was the first thing created. No, that's not what he's saying at all. Christ is the initiator and the originator of creation. 
He is the creator like we know from the book of Colossians. He's the beginning of creation. And he speaks these words to the church, to you and to me. So we ought to listen, don't you think? Yeah, we ought to listen to what Christ says. The first thing he says, I know your deeds. Just that right there is kind of scary. The Lord knows every one of our deeds, every one of our words. <laughs> so he's speaking to Laodicea, just a little bit about Laodicea. It's important to this little uh, letter that he wrote. It was the most important city in the Lycus Valley. If you were looking at a current map, it would be in the area of Turkey. It's located on an important trade route, very important trade route. It was close to Colossae, so when you read, we preached through Colossians, we talked a little bit about Laodicea. Uh, there was a large affluent Jewish population in Laodicea, and it was a rich, a very wealthy banking center. Start thinking about us, our country, where we're at, a manufacturing center, it was noted for its fine, soft, black wool. Beautiful cloth that they sold, black. It had a medical school that was above all the medical schools and really famous for ophthalmology. There was an eye doctor there that was uh, one of the best eye doctors of the time. And they made eye salve in that area. Uh, I think it's called Phrygian eye salve. And it, would heal, it was healing for the eyes. So it's an amazing area. Um, and I already told you it was an area that was prone to earthquakes. In fact, they had an earthquake that destroyed much of Laodicea. And the Roman Empire said, you know what, we'll give you the money to rebuild it. And they said, no thanks, we'll rebuild it ourselves. We've got plenty of money. Very wealthy town. Unheard of in that day. So that's the type of place that it was. It had a water supply that will need to understand a little bit for our message. A lot of their water, we're told, came from five or six miles away from the boiling waters uh, up in these mountains, and it came through aqueducts to the city. And by the time it got there, lukewarm, full of minerals. Not too good to drink. Uh, <laughs> and that's the way it was by the time it got to Laodicea. Colossae, on the other hand, which wasn't far away, was known for their pure, cold, refreshing water. So that's the geography. So the Lord says, I know your deeds, and he says they're neither cold nor hot. And he says that in a negative sense. If you know my wife, Kathy, she's a connoisseur of hot tea. Her hot tea has got to be Really pure water. If it leaves any residue on the cup, she goes, yeah. <laughs> and if it's lukewarm, ugh. Me, on the other hand, I'm a connoisseur of iced tea. I like it to be so pure you hold that glass up, you can see right through it, right? And I want it to be cold and refreshing. <laughs> and, and you know what? Lukewarm tea, ugh, disgusting. Uh, unfiltered water, you know, that disgusting. It would make you want to literally spit it out. And that's the picture here, part of the picture. Jesus knows our deeds. He also knows our hearts and our motives. So I think the operative thought here is, and, and bear with me, is usefulness to the Lord. You see, uh, Hot water is useful, is it not? It's useful for cleaning things, for purifying, for bathing, uh, for hot tea and coffee. Hot water has some usefulness. It's good. And cold water, on the other hand, is really good. Hot summer, Illinois, 95 degrees, humid. You can cut the humidity with your hands. What do you want to do? Jump in a cold pool of water. It's refreshing. A cold drink is refreshing. So cold water is useful as well. So I think Jesus is talking somewhat about usefulness. You know, uh, he wants us to, to be useful. And uh, he's talking to the church. 
it's kind of similar to salt and light. Um, <laughs> we're to be salt. Salt is good for healing and curing, and, and light is, is good. It's refreshing. Light opens up our eyes. And I think he's looking at the works of the church at Laodicea, saying they were neither hot nor cold. Now hear this about the church and think about our church. Apparently, they were not providing refreshment for people who were spiritually weary and needy. So is this church a place where people who need refreshing from the Lord get it? That's the kind of place we want to be. When people, don't you need refreshing from time to time from the Lord? I do. I need to come somewhere and be refreshed. Looking forward to being with the body of Christ. And, and here's maybe something that's even sadder. It, apparently they were not providing healing for the spiritually sick or even those that are spiritually dead. The Lord was sick of the deeds of the church. Really what it was was a Christless church. Because <laughs> it's Christ that brings refreshing to us, isn't it? Yes. And it's Christ that brings healing to us. Yes. <laughs> so I, you've heard me that song I love, Where Could I Go But To The Lord? <laughs> Why go to church if you can't go to the Lord there? Why even bother? Where could I go but to Christ? So how sad of a description is that of a church or even a Christian? Kathy and I have been part of a church where people said, you know, I was here long before you got here, Pastor, and I'll be here after you go. Whoa. I won't tell you where that church was, but... That's how some people think about the church. They think it's my church. This is my church. You know what? It's not. It's Christ's church. It's his church. <laughs> it's not ours. You know, we're not a country club. A lot of churches in America seem to be kind of like a country club. We're not that, although we do have a good time together once in a while, don't we, when we fellowship? Everybody will be back in that room eating cookies afterwards, and you might think it was a little bit like a country club, and that's okay. We do have wonderful fellowship, but you know what? We're not primarily that, and, and we're not a performing arts center. We do have good music. I loved our music. Alyssa, you can just flat out play that piano, praise God. You should be able to after all that time and the practice, so you've done well, very well, but wonderful Worship to the Lord, but that's not primarily what we are. We're not a performing arts center, nor are we a political action group. I'm thinking of other churches. Yes, what we think and do should <laughs> impact the politics in our church, and we should pray about it, and we should stand up for the Lord, but that's not primarily what we are. This is the body of Christ. This is a place that Christ gets glorified and worshiped, and we point to Jesus Christ. We're to be salt and light. That's what we're to be. May we be that in Christ, in all that we say and do. May we never be lukewarm. You know why? Because Jesus says, it makes me want to spit you out, spew you out. The word literally is vomit. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? <laughs> that a, the Lord could be so sick of his church that he would want to vomit them out. I appreciated Phil talking about all the attributes of God this morning just for a few minutes. I had written out next to this where the Lord says you make me sick. I want us to know that this is a warning from the Lord. I want us to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ, our God, is a holy God. He's a righteous God. And he's a just God. So no, he will not put up with lukewarmness. He just won't put up with it. That's not who he is. 
that's not our God. So not only does he know our deeds, but he knows what we think by what we say. Because <laughs> he goes on and says, this is what you say. He says, you say I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. Wow. <laughs> have you ever thought about that? I mean, have you ever? Nobody's going to say, yeah, I thought I was rich. Okay, I get that. But have you ever thought, you know what, I have everything I need. I have plenty of food. And I've thought that. I, I do. I have everything that I need. I don't need anything else. God has provided wonderfully for, for us and for me. And it's okay in that context if we're grateful and thankful for it to the Lord. But sometimes people get to the point where, you know what? I've prospered and I need absolutely nothing. And this is what God says. He says, no. <laughs> He's talking to a spiritually lukewarm church. He says, actually, you are wretched and pitiable. Whew. That means miserable and contemptible. <laughs> Any one of those words, are they're not good. That's what the Lord is saying to the church. And I'm trying to think, okay, what does that look like? in a church, in, in an individual. So I think part of it is that there's a lack of truth. I think when we're lukewarm, we're, we're avoiding the truth. Because it's easier to avoid the truth. We don't even like to speak truth to one another sometimes. Uh, I think there's sometimes a lack of zeal. Certainly the Lord's talking about that. You know what the word zeal is, zealous. Mm -hmm. uh, I even used the word, there's no pizzazz. <laughs> Look it up in the dictionary and see if you don't know. It says something about excitement, you know. It's okay to be excited in the church. It's okay to have some pizzazz. This morning I was reading about King David and where uh, his wife, Michael, looks at him and she's disgusted because he's dancing like crazy to the Lord. And I thought, it's okay to dance to the Lord. It's okay to be excited. And in fact, it's good. I think the Lord would like to see some excitement, pizzazz, out of us. I'm talking to myself. And we think we're comfortable. Not only do we think we're uh, complacent, or not think we're complacent, we are complacent, but we think we're comfortable. And the Lord says, no, you're poor, blind, and naked. Really, what he's saying is we're spiritually needy people, and we don't even know. It's not a good spiritual condition. So here's the question. Have we fooled ourselves as Christians, as a church, as individuals? These are serious words from Christ. Is the church in America rich? Or poor. Some of you that have been to a church in Africa might turn around and say, well, the, the church in America is poor. Or sometimes when I come home from Angola prison and see how rich the church is in Angola prison, I think, hmm, maybe we're not as rich as we think we are, spiritually speaking. So we need a complacency gauge. And I believe that the Lord has is, is given us one. Because he's a truth teller. God is a truth teller. He loves us so much that he's going to tell us the truth about ourselves. Because he cares for us. So here's what he says. I counsel you. <laughs> Even that's pretty amazing. <laughs> I counsel you. The Lord says that. I counsel you. Buy from me. Well, how in the world are we supposed to understand that? I think it's incredibly important that we do understand this because it's the key to the passage. Those three words, buy from me. We must only go to Christ. I think we get that. We go to Christ. He says, buy from me. When, when, we, when we sense that we're being complacent, when we sense this void and emptiness, we need 
to go to Christ. And we have a tendency to go to a lot of places to find comfort. And I'm not talking about just alcohol and drugs or that kind of thing. I mean, some, some people do that. But we find comfort in, oh, sports and uh, TV and books. And, and sometimes the void in our, in our, in our spirit, needs, it needs to be filled by Christ. He's the only one that can really fill the void in us, this, this complacency, this emptiness that we have. <laughs> and uh, how about going to CCC? Everybody's got a blank look on their face. And nobody knows what the CCC is? That's good, because I just invented it. It's called the Christ Counseling Center, okay? CCC. I thought, wow, Christ wants to counsel us. Can you imagine? <laughs> Where were you? I went to the Christ Counseling Center, and he counseled me. He wants to counsel us this morning. He literally wants to counsel us. <laughs> and, and I love that idea. So he says, I counsel you, buy from me. So what about the idea buy. What does it mean to buy from Christ? I mean, we can't buy Christ. We can't buy our salvation. So why is he saying buy from me? Turn to Isaiah 55 1 and I think we'll come to an understanding of that. I love Isaiah. Pastor Phil already spoke some words of Isaiah this morning. So here's what he says in Isaiah 51. It's the Lord speaking, the compassion of the Lord. Come, everyone who thirsts. That's that void, that's that emptiness. Come to the waters. <laughs> you want refreshing? Come to the waters. And he who has no money, so you don't have money, you don't have anything, come buy and eat. That's what the Lord is saying. He says, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. <laughs> Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear. Come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. He's talking about the covenant with David, the new covenant. He's talking about Christ there. Come to me. You can't buy it with money, but come to me. Pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> so when we go to the Lord Jesus, the only way we can go is with nothing. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. You've heard those words. We come empty-handed. So what is it that we're counseled to buy? The Lord says, buy gold, refined by fire, buy it from me. 1 Peter 1.7, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read that verse don't want to turn, just listen. Peter says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so when Christ is talking about we need to buy gold. He's the gold. Christ is the gold standard. <laughs> Our faith is like gold. It's not the riches of Laodicea. Remember, he's talking primarily to Laodicea, a very wealthy place, a banking center, probably stockpiles of gold. And he's telling them, you need to buy gold, but not that gold, the gold that Christ has. Christ. <laughs> Christ our faith is in Christ alone. <laughs> and he is the faithful and true witness. And Christ is the source of our faith. 
So all of these things that he says to buy, I want you to understand, I'm going to tell you right up front, they're all Christ. Christ is the source of our faith. We have no faith unless he gives us faith. <laughs> and yes, true riches are in Christ, and our faith will be tested and refined. He told us that. Anybody having their faith tested? Come on. Yeah, I know people having their faith tested in this group. And he says, buy white garments from me. What kind of cloth did they have in Laodicea? Remember what I said it was? It was black cloth. So there's another contrast. He says, you know what? Buy white garments from me. From me, the Lord says. <laughs> you know, we're all morally naked in front of God. There's a scary thought. Morally naked. He knows everything in our hearts and in our minds. Aren't you glad that there's no human being that can look into your heart and, and your mind and read every thought? Yeah, I'm glad. Maybe I, I'm really glad. But think about it. God can do that. We, we stand in front of him, and he sees everything, everything. We can't hide anything from the Lord. He knows what's in our hearts. He's told us in the book of Isaiah that all of our deeds are like filthy rags. <laughs> so we've got to be clothed with Christ's righteousness. <laughs> That's the gospel right there, in case you were wondering. <laughs> Christ took all of our sin on him on the cross. You know this, but you need to hear it. I need to hear it again. He took my sin on the cross. And he carried it so that I can put on white garments. And God looks at me as being righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Revelation. There's a lot of verses that talk about that, in, even in the Old Testament. But in Revelation 22, 14, listen to to what it says there about these garments. Just one verse. 22 and verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. We can go into the city because of the righteous robes that God gives us through his righteousness. <laughs> There's a song. Have you been to Jesus for his cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? We won't go on to that, but beautiful words, important words. <laughs> Christ is the source of our righteousness. And the third thing he says to buy is to buy salve. I salve. Buy it from me. <laughs> so it's not the salve of Laodicea. We need spiritual sight, don't we? We need to be able to see. We need to be able to see the truth. So our salve really is the spirit of Christ. When God was leaving the disciples, he promised them the Holy Spirit. And he promised the Spirit would guide them into all truth. That's the Spirit of Christ. That's our ISAF, the Holy Spirit, that guides us into all truth. And the Spirit always points to Jesus. He always gives glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the person, it's in the person of Christ that the Spirit reveals truth. Here's a statement by a guy named Pastor Mike Leakey. Listen to this. I thought it was really important, and I, I, he could say it much better than I could. He's just an associate pastor in Indiana somewhere, and he wrote these really beautiful words. So, The Spirit shines the light of truth into all areas of our life. Okay, I got that. And at the same time, shines a light on the finished work of Christ so we can see. 
Isn't that beautiful? The light shines not only on our filthy deeds, our sin, but the same light the Holy Spirit gives us shines on Christ, who paid the price for those deeds. Christ is the source of our sight. So, when my faith in Christ is weak, do you ever feel like your faith is weak? Yeah, when, when my faith is weak and maybe even non-existent, sometimes people feel like I don't have any faith. That's where I'm at. Or when I get to the point where I know my deeds, the things that I've been doing are, are filthy, they're sinful, and sometimes we get to the point where we, we don't even know it or we don't even care about it. And there's times when I don't see Christ and I'm deceived by the lies of the world that don't point to the truth. In other words, they don't point to Christ. So when I get to that point, then I am lukewarm or possibly even spiritually dead. If I stop the message there, man, whew, that wouldn't be good. But I say, praise be, praise be that Christ, who wants to counsel us, he doesn't want to leave us that way. This is what he tells you. Back to our text, Revelation 3. Read this again. Those whom I love. Now he's talking to the same people. Those whom I love. Praise God that he loves us. So we talked about the attributes earlier. Holiness, righteousness, justice. And here I see a merciful and a gracious and a kind God. And I'm so thankful for that. He says, he says, I love you. <laughs> he basically says to those whom I love, I love you. He says to them, I care for you. Well, how is it that he cares for those that he loves? He reproves them and he disciplines them. You know, that's what loving parents do. Thought about asking some of the young kids, do you know your father loves you when he disciplines you? <laughs> that he cares about you? I'll just say, you know, my wife's a teacher and she sees a lot of kids in school and, and those that don't get that kind of love from their parents, a lot of them wind up in trouble. So God loves us like a father, doesn't he? He says, I, I discipline I reprove and I discipline. He cares for us. And there's a reason. Because he wants us to be zealous. Okay, he's been talking to people that are either spiritually dead or at least just lukewarm, and he's sick of them. And he says, I want you to be zealous and repent. That word repent, I think, think a lot of Christians don't even understand the word repent. And I'm going to repeat this simple verse as long as the Lord gives me breath because I need to hear it. It's from Proverbs 28, 13. It's a definition, as far as I'm concerned, of true repentance. Here's what it says. Whoever uh, blessed, no, here we go. Whoever conceals his transgressions, his sins, will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them. Confess your sin and forsake them. They will obtain mercy. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Don't misunderstand me. Well, I have to explain this every Thursday when we're at the Illinois Youth Center to the young 13 to 18-year-old boys that are in the prison. 
and we start to talk about repentance. And I, I have to explain, because they don't understand. We say, do you know what repent means? Eh. Do you know what confess means? Eh. You know, I'm not going to confess, you know. Uh, so we explain, you know, confess means, yes, Lord, I'm wrong. I did that thing. It was sin, and I, I sinned against you. But then, to forsake it means to walk away from that sin. That's true repentance. So a father that cares about us, that rebukes us and disciplines us, he wants us to be zealous and to repent. And here's what he says. This is where it gets beautiful. I continually seek you. He doesn't say it in those words. He says it in better words. <laughs> he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know, that's a great salvation passage. When I was a little kid, I heard people preach that all the time about salvation. Jesus is knocking on the uh, door of your heart. And that's true. But I believe that here he's talking to the Christian and to the church. It's addressed to the church at Laodicea. And he's saying to the church there, Behold, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. <laughs> it's for his own children. It's for his bride, the church. John Piper made another statement. He said, Christ did not die to redeem a bride who keeps him out on the porch. <laughs> True statement. The Lord, he's knocking on the heart. He's knocking on the door of our heart. He's, to Christians, he's saying that. <laughs> he waits for us to open the door. He's not going to kick it down. He waits for us to open that door. That's the thing as we draw this, begin to draw this to a close, is to think about what does it mean to open the door of my heart to Jesus when I'm already a believer? What does that mean? It probably means there's some doors inside our heart that we haven't opened all the way. There's probably some places where we're keeping the Lord at a distance. Then he says, I will come into you. What a great statement. If you hear and open the door, I will come in to you. <laughs> you know, if we keep those doors locked and we keep the Lord at arm's length and we don't open them, this is what we're going to miss. This gets even more beautiful. He says, I will eat with you. <laughs> That's a wonderful promise from the Lord. <laughs> Can you imagine having dinner with the Lord? Someday we will. What a beautiful picture that's being painted by the Lord Jesus here. <laughs> a lot of John Piper quotes. He says, the opposite of lukewarm is the fervor, and I'm going to say the joy and the intimacy that you experience when you enjoy a candlelit dinner with Jesus Christ in the inner room of your heart. Wow. <laughs> I've thought a lot about that. Have there been times in your life when you knew that you were intimately with the Lord, you know, and that he was speaking to you, or you've had this time? I want those things in my life. I want them in my life. I want them in the life of this church, my own children. That's the kind of relationship I want to have with the Lord. I don't want to be cool, calm, and collected, you know. I, I want the Lord to, to manipulate my heart. I really do. And I hope you want that too. So those who open their heart and conquer... The Lord uses the word conquer. They con and what is it they're conquering? They're conquering that lukewarmness. <laughs> they open their heart. They conquered their lukewarmness. It says that Jesus will grant us to sit with him on his throne. 
There's another picture. Sitting on the throne with Jesus. You know, the only way I can imagine that, the only way I can put that into a word picture in my own brain is that I'm sitting on God's lap. That's the only way I can put it into my little tiny brain. And that's, I think, a good picture of what the Lord is saying. Come in and eat with me <laughs> and sit on my lap. Wow. I want that. Daddy's lap. Intimacy with the Lord. Do we have that? And then the Lord says, hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let me wrap this up. We can only get this from Christ. Buy it from me, only from Christ. You know what it starts with? It starts with a prayer. So much of what God is telling us to do starts with a simple prayer. Kathy said on the way in here, Dave, we need to get back to praying. There's something that we're praying for, and she is right. So much of the Christian life starts with a prayer, and that prayer is, Lord, I want to open my heart to you. We sang this morning, at the beginning of this, we literally sang the words, we have come with open hearts. We sang that over and over and over again. We need to pray that prayer to the Lord. That's how it starts. And then we trust his promise. Because he promised that if we will open that door to the Lord, that he will come in. That's a promise that you can bank on. You can't buy it, but you can bank on it because it's the Lord Jesus Christ. So trust the person of Christ by faith. Trust the righteousness of Christ because of his work on the cross, his righteousness. He's the source of our forgiveness and our righteousness. And trust the spirit of Christ to light the way through the word, to guide us into all truth so that we can see because he's the source of our sight.